Welcome, everybody, to episode five of the Win Spectrum Podcast. I'm Charles Morton. This is Dan Lymaster. And Dan, we're going to have some fun today. We are going to talk about why sales training fails. And what's fun about this is we're sales trainers. But something came across our desk a few weeks ago that we just have to talk about. And we saw a video on LinkedIn by the CEO of one of the largest sales training companies in the world. And he was on LinkedIn in this video asking for customers to please share if they had gotten any results, if had if their sellers had gotten any better after having received training from them. And I don't know about you, Dan, but I almost lost my mind when I when I saw this. What did you think? Well, it's pretty crazy to me. You look at that individual was actually asking. He's asking for someone out there that has taken their training to respond back that they are now better at selling because of the training. I don't think that this is to say necessarily that that company was doing anything wrong. Their training may have been excellent. People may have gotten a ton of value out of it, but what were they measuring? If they're not keeping track of that, if they're not reinforcing and following up, and if they don't know six months down the road that that's had an impact, why is no one watching this stuff? Why is no one taking it seriously? Why does no one care? We're always looking at data. We're always looking at numbers. We get promotions and we lose our jobs over the data that our teams produce, whether you're in product or sales or marketing, that's just the way the world goes. But when it comes to making people better, it's like we've forgotten about that. It's secondary to this box that we feel like we need to check. And you're right, you, you do need to check the box, but there's a lot of boxes to check when it comes to this. We've talked a lot about some of these vendors and sales trainers that are out there the picture that they paint when you engage with them versus the reality of, of the actual experience. Yeah, it, the funny thing is it reminds me of like almost like politicians. Right? Politician campaigns and campaigns and campaigns. That's, that's the sales cycle. This is what we're going to do for you. It's going to be amazing. Look at the results you're going to get. Look at the improvements you're going to see. And then you vote for them with your wallet. And you hire them. And then, I mean, what happens with, I don't want to get political on this, but I mean, come on, you, 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 you elect a politician and then it's almost like you don't even expect them to really do the things that you've elected them to do because we're so used to having them not do it. And I think the same malaise has, has come over the sales training world where we get kind of excited on this idea that they might deliver this, but do we really believe it's going to happen? And after we voted for them, so to speak, do we think that they're going to keep their campaign promises? I think a lot of times... We just accept it. We just accept the fact that it's not going to be as great. It's not going to be the amazing thing that we hoped it would be. If you look at the, the offerings that are out there, it's, all right, we'll do a one day or two day or whatever session, and then we're going to unhook and then good luck, right? What is the deliverable, right? And, and no, we, that's a really provocative question. The deliverable for most sales trainers is that performance. It's that 60 slide deck that they're going to walk your team through and maybe a little bit of that pre-work and then those assets that they give you, maybe the recording of the training and they, they take their bow and they get their applause. That's right. Everyone feels good. Yep. And that's it. And they are done. Yeah. I think there's a vicious cycle here, by the way. I think there's a cycle that feeds itself because since their deliverable is that box of the half day, two day, one week workshop. And that box has a beginning and an end and a measure point. If that goes up, they're doing, they're doing great. If it goes down, they need improvement. But 
no one's looking at how what that box does impacts what happens next. You know, there are very few sales training companies out there that, that want to use a very scary word to them, which is guarantee. And it wouldn't work with based on how they now focus most of their trainings. And you guys know what I'm talking about. When you, a lot of these trainings, you can tell it has become a dog and pony show. It is, it's got this wonderful, fun opening. It gets people up and clapping and cheering. It gets them doing these exercises that, that are, are, are designed to change their mind, right? I can stretch farther than I ever thought I could. You know what I'm talking about, the stretching <laughs> yeah, one. It's, let's, all, let's all throw a ball around the room, and then let's figure out how to throw it faster. And it, those are all fun. I'm not, I'm not saying those are wrong, by the way, but it's become part of the show. And, and trainers, and believe me, I'm very tight with this industry. I know what these trainers, they, at the end of training, they will have judged whether or not that's effective. They themselves know whether they gave an effective training based on applause, based on audience engagement, based on handshakes or you know, virtual handshakes afterwards, based on the manager sending an email right afterwards saying, that's the most impactful training we have ever had. How do you know that? No one has sold. Not a single person has done anything differently after that training at that moment. You, you have no idea if it's had an impact. What you know is it was entertaining. Yeah. Well, exactly right. Isn't that we, we buy tickets to the show, you right? We're tickets. going to a movie. Give me, give me my uh, $12 ticket to go see uh, that, that new uh, movie that just came out. I'm sitting in the seat. It's all good. And what am I going to say after I've paid all this money? <sighs> wow, that movie was terrible. You, you try to find things about it that you like, right? To justify the investment you just made. Especially if you're the leader. That's, oh, why, sure. that's why these, these companies have a guaranteed like, testimonial at the end of the training because a leader has to be right. The leader has to be able to, to show that this was great and so he will, his name is already on it. Yeah, I, well, absolutely. They're identifying a problem, right? Right. Uh, and we'll talk about their diagnos diagnosing abilities or ability to diagnose. But they, they've got this problem. They've identified, all right, Vendor X, sales trainer X, whomever can, can solve this problem for us. They're making that bet to the organization. And they're going to the organization saying, all right, give me whatever thousands of dollars it's going to be, and we're going to solve this problem. And the funny thing is, is like, I don't think they believe it when they say that. But that's kind of what they've been conditioned to do, right? They're like, all right, I'm going to throw some money at this. And I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, whether I feel the training was amazing or not, whether my people actually grow or not, as long as that applause is there, as long as my people felt like I did something good for them, I did my job, check the box. Awesome. It's like, that is such a sad place to be. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think, I, I don't think the diagnosis equates to the prescription in most cases. I think very often the diagnosis is done improperly and the prescription is almost always the same Band-Aid. So how, how, do you, how do you even reconcile that? Over and over again, you're saying the Band-Aid is bring these guys in to do more training. But the last training, you have no idea if that worked. You don't know if the Band-Aid made any difference at all, but you've got this, these guys, gals coming in to do the same thing over again. Well, that... <laughs> The diagnosing is hilarious. You got CRM data, 
you got industry experts to talk to, you got your team you can talk to, you got customers you can talk to, you've got you know your other executive members that you can talk to. There's so many people to talk to about what you think is going on. You can listen to calls, right? You can look at some win-loss reports. You can I mean, there's a million things you can look at, you know, to make a determination what you believe it takes. But to your point, then when you go to a vendor or a third party to go solve it, you can't have the conversation you need to have based on who you go to, right? Uh, in fact, we've got we've got an example of this with one of our customers, right? Their head of sales came down and said, hey, we need this particular training. So their enablement person went and said, okay, we'll go, we'll go get that training. So they went out and they they went to the people that do this specific training. And uh, and and what what ended up happening is they uh, they, they went through the sales process, realized it was not for them because this particular uh, training academy, they went to them and said, okay, uh, what do you need? You need this? Cool. We have that. This company never asked, why do you need this? Whose idea was this? Tell me how you sell. Let us evaluate some of these individuals to see if that's really is Tell your me problem. about your sales team. What does what a cycle look like? What yeah. challenges are they facing? Who do you sell to? What industry? How long have you been doing this? What's your average selling price? Average sales cycle? You know, what's coming up in the future that you need to be prepared for? None of this. They saw an opportunity where somebody was looking for it, was told to go look for this particular thing. And because that's the only thing they offer, they said, of course we have that. The big reason they didn't choose this particular, and luckily they went with us, which is great. Thank you for that. If you know who we're talking to, we're talking about. But, but the reason, the, the, the big reason they, they decided to go look for something else was because this sales training company couldn't even sell their own product effectively. They threw them a huge deck and a huge price and got not to know nothing about this organization. And then said, well, because we're such a big brand, you know, we're going to deliver. And that's a big freaking problem. Yeah, it's a huge problem, and it's funny. By the way, I, it's it's it is so incredibly common, even in the sales training world, where you th you would think that sellers would be better. I mean, if they work for a sales training company, you would think sellers would be at the peak of their trained abilities. They'd be pretty sharp. That's that's most often not the case. But you get this sales process that basically says, "Hey, what you have looks like a nail, and we have a hammer. Right. So let's go." And then 64 slides later, you have heard everything about what their offering might look like. And now it, it, for most customers looking for a product, now I've got to go back to the drawing board. I've probably got to pull out my Excel spreadsheet and start column A, column B, and see how they stack up because there's nothing in that process that makes them, I, I learned nothing. I'm no better able to understand the world of sales training. I, I, I see no no path forward to make my people better. And by the way, I've got to be thinking that if that's the best they can do with their people, what are they going to do? If that's the best they can do with their people with however many months and years they have to work with them. What are they going to do for my people? What can my people possibly get from that in two days? Uh, I'm going to surprise you with this. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Or I should say they'll probably get a lot out of it, but nothing that will stick for more than, I don't know, until the end of their applause. Well, and that's and that's a thing. I think we have to really for the audience. What you have to to do is is you can't look at the training. The training itself is a means to an end. And and if you were to judge it, if you were to, to walk into a room where a sales training is happening, you may think this is amazing. 
Look at how engaged everyone is. Look at the clarity of the pictures on the screen. Look at the poise of that sales trainer. Look at that joke that they just told. That was perfect. And in today's, in today's world, that joke just hit. It was right. It was, it was appropriate. It was funny. These guys, my, well, look at the experience my people are getting. And maybe they are, by the way. Maybe it's an entertaining two days. But that is not how you judge sales training. You want to entertain your people for two days? Send them on a trip somewhere. Yeah. Let them go. Let them go to a go to a vacation resort, and then at the end, or it's somewhere in the middle. Do a do a one hour meeting with them. Tell them, hey, thanks. We've got a big year ahead of us. Glad you're here. Go have fun. Let's come back refreshed. If you want them entertained, entertain them. If you want them taught, then teach them. And you do not judge the the efficacy of teaching by how entertaining it is. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting too, because how many, how many scenarios have we gotten into where the company completely misdiagnoses what they needed? I mean, just, just misses it by a mile. All the time. And, and so if you can't get that right, and, and we're talking about, you know, this has got to be outcomes-based. If you can't get the diagnosis right, then what ends up happening is even if you invest in great training, a great program that got delivered well, that 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 maybe even uh, could have produced outcomes, it wasn't what you needed. So you wasted money, you wasted time, you wasted deals, you made your reps know better than if you would have taken the couple hours it could have to actually diagnose it appropriately, right? I mean, if we've got examples of saying, you know, hey, I've got somebody who's really struggling with closing, right? They just, they're discounting every deal out there. I just, they've got to work on their negotiation skills, okay? Fine. That wasn't what they needed. What they ended up needing was a whole bunch of stuff, right? So we had a sales leader a little while ago that came to us specifically looking for training on how to pivot a sales conversation. Yeah. And this is one of the best sales leaders in the world. And, and for a great company too. Yeah. But they wanted to pivot from what they found was oftentimes after the discovery and when they're in the demo, they'll get partway through and find that that's not what the client wanted. And so they wanted their people to be better able to take that and turn it and still have an effective conversation. So let that sink in for a moment. What would you do if a leader came to you and asked to, to deliver pivot training? And so what we always do, we dug in. Let's, let's talk about this. And as we dug in, we found that the problem was not with the pivot. The problem was with the discovery beforehand. And since the discovery wasn't happening the right way, and, and this was this is enterprise software, multiple people, sellers included, and multiple technical people involved in each deal and long sales cycles, 12 to 18 months. But what was happening was the discovery was disconnected, wasn't happening the right way. And so by the time we got to the, the place where we were demoing, we just weren't presenting the right product. We had to go back and change how they were doing discovery and look at, are we asking the right questions, remap that process, and then deliver discovery training. And the discovery training cured the need for the pivot. Yeah, and it's amazing. Imagine if they had gone down their original road. They would be no, no better off. Uh, we, whoever they would have chosen to do that would, would have gotten the applause. Uh, they would have felt like it was great, most likely, but their people have been no better. That's right. And think about the customer experience. Now you're having the same misalignment to begin with, only now your people 
were a little bit faster to react when they realized they were presenting the wrong stuff in the demo. And then they would guess again, I guess, take, take, take a new turn and hope that they, this time they would get it right. I mean, this is, but this is where that diagnosis becomes so critical. Yeah. But it's, it's also hard too, because one of the other sides of this equation is, is what, what lens are they looking through? Are they looking through, you know, this short-term lens or long-term lens? I think you've hit on what might be one of the critical reasons why sales training fails. And it's that, it's that view. If you have a short-term view, if you're looking for a stopgap, then you're okay with a Band-Aid. Then what you're saying is, I'm okay if we just fix this one thing, but you're not looking at it holistically. Well, for example, you and I uh, both have kids, and when you're dealing with kids, you take a long-term view on their development and even on the things they learn. So my kids, we, we, music is a big part of their learning. So they play cello and they play piano. And we take a long-term view on that development. I, I don't care how great the performance is going to be next month. I want it to be great. And we, and we push our kids to practice and make sure that they're good for the next month. But it's always that long-term view. And the funny thing is you can have both. You, you can have short-term results while you're aiming for long term and i think i think that that goes that goes over people's heads a little bit right if you you know just just because you have a plan that might take a year or two to 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 fully implement it doesn't mean that that there aren't successes along the way and i like that view because if you give if you as an organization have the big picture and you understand that total training then you can start to piece it up but you piece it up in a way that each piece fits to move them forward to that bigger picture. This is, this is how you make people great long-term while making them better step-by-step step in the short-term. It's incredible that, that we're hesitant to do that when every example around us in the world does that. You think, you think athletes just playing games all the time? No, they practice like 90% more than they play in games, right? You think like, uh, you know, like what was it? Cosmetologists take 2,500 hours in, in many states, just so they can, just so they can, uh, you know, work in a, in a salon. It's crazy. Talk about proactive, right? It's, it's forced, but it's, it's still proactive, you know, but we just, we just don't do that. We're, we're, we're thinking short term. We're thinking reactively. We're thinking just in time as opposed to overtime. Companies want to be able to push a button and make the problem go away. Push the button and make their people amazing at sales. And that's just not how it works. There's, there's a discipline that has to be attached to it. There's the investment that has to be made. There's a discipline in following up with it. There's a measurement period that needs to exist. And it's not just a day, a week, or two weeks after training. This is the, your, your, your time management has to be good that you make this a priority. And the ones that do have incredible results. And the ones that don't, have nothing to speak about. Well, and it, and it ties into what we were talking about in the last episode about that affects culture. Yeah. And it, if, you, if you follow up the right way, then there's a natural reinforcement that happens because the culture is being built. To me, that's at the highest points of the organization. This has to be something that is kind of cascaded down as saying, hey, part of how we hit our goals for next year of growing a revenue by 100% is it's, this is part of what we do. This is in your job description. When you see that coming from down from the CEO, the CRO, 
right? The VP of sales, the, the directors, the managers, all that stuff. That's going to have some serious impact, right? But, but you know, without that culture in place, it makes it very, very difficult. Yeah. And without culture, you can't really hold people accountable for behaviors. You can, almost every sales organization out there holds people accountable for performance in terms of numbers. But you have to have a culture that holds them accountable for performance in terms of behaviors. And when you do that, now you have a, a situation where training can stick if, if you've invested and if you've built that culture. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, kind of a funny, maybe a side to this is when you start to look at how companies try to solve this, because this is not new. It's, it's not like companies don't understand that this is a problem. It's just something that's very difficult to solve and they tr keep trying to solve it and they keep getting flashes that it's working because they got good scores on the survey and people liked it. And then that's it, that flash is gone and they're back to the reality of people doing things the same way. So then they think, well, we'll just hire someone full time to own this and then it'll be solved. Uh, yeah, that's painful. It's just pushing a different button. Right. And if we, we pushed the vendor button, that didn't work. So now we're going to push the full-time enablement person button. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned we both have kids. If I don't like emptying the dishwasher, my four-year-old's going to learn how to empty the dishwasher. Isn't that kind of what we're saying? Yeah. yeah. Come on. You're, you're outsourcing it inside your own house. Yeah, exactly. feels great though. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm taking responsibility because now I am owning that permanently. Yeah. But the, but the problem is, who are these people? Like, like, and again, we've got a, we've got a lot of sales enablement friends yep. and I think we're quite, we're quite fond of them, but they are some of the most wonderful people in the world. Yeah. But, but the problem is, is who do you want training your team? I mean, think about it. Like, really, like, you know, do you want, do you want people that have been certified experts in the roles that your people actually have and have really excelled and grown their careers from it? Or do you want somebody who you know, may not have done so well, may, may, may love to build content, may love to facilitate, may, may have a good idea about who your industry or personas are, but they, they haven't quite matched and, and understood the, 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 the sales skills, the teaching skills needed to actually get sellers to improve. And it's, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, it's I think sales enablement um, leaders and, and those who are in sales enablement are put in a very difficult position. I mean, it's just, it's a little unfair. It, it's a little unfair because enablement, we've talked about this a million times. That word means so many different things to so many different people. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of enablement people who love the job of building the systems, creating the processes, facilitating learning environments are tasked to teach salespeople how to sell. And those are monumentally different things. Bringing in the right software, that, that's, I, don't, I don't have to be great at teaching to bring in the right software. Yeah. That's a different skill set. If I'm going to teach a seller how to perform at a high level, and I've never been a seller performing at a high level, where do I even start? Yeah, and, it's, and, it, and again, it's, 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 I mean, it's such a hard position to be in. It's a hard position right? to be in. And, and, it's, and it's funny because in the interviews, they, they nail this. They, they nail the interview process, right? They, they sound great. They look great. You know, they are, and they're, I think they're necessary, especially as, as organizations get bigger, it's necessary to have this department to kind of help with all these things. But, but the, I think one of the, one of the tough parts is, and this is, 
this is just speaking from my experience and the experience of my reps. When, when you, when you're a rep, and and they say, all right, on Tuesday we've got we've got uh, some sales training going on. You get a little excited. Okay, I'm gonna learn something new. Brought to you by Sales Enablement. <laughs> I mean, shit. Like, and it's again, it's not Sales Enablement's fault. But 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 what ends up happening is, as a seller, I know that this person is not in the field. They don't know. They don't know my daily life. They, I've never been asked like what I'm struggling with or, or what what I truly need help help with, and they're they're uh, so I don't know how I'm gonna have one foot in one foot out of this. I'm gonna I'm gonna sit there. I'll listen. I'll show up. I'll participate. I'll do what I gotta do. But just speaking candidly, again, I, I how do I take this seriously? The person in front of you has to have some credibility in in what it is that you know you need to get better at in order for it to stick in your head. Yeah, yeah I, I feel bad for a lot of people in an enablement role because the job description often changes on them too. So they get hired in because we need to build the enablement function. I, I hear that all the time, by the way. We need to build the enablement function. What is that? Well, it starts with, with the, the foundation and the structure and the systems. For a lot of enablement people, that's their wheelhouse. They're great at it. And for that, they are the expert. I, I, would, I would go to that meeting happily to learn how to implement the various LMSs and tools and systems that are really important for that role. But sales enablement also often means sales training. And they have a little bit of experience with that. So in the interview, when they ask, how are you at sales training? They can probably talk about the different vendors that they've worked with and trainings that they've conducted or helped build, but it's not their, it's not their real wheelhouse. And then, and then as needs shift and as companies become more aware of what really has to be done in the organization, they realize that the systems are in place and also maybe not impacting things that much. Training is going to impact things. And so now that's what we need you focused on. You're right. The, these job descriptions kind of get flipped on them or especially in smaller organizations, the burden that gets put on them because maybe budgets may be tight and they may not have enough to go hire a million different trainers to solve the bunch of challenges they have. They do have this thing thrust on their shoulders and it's tough, but there's something enablement can really help with, which we've talked about a little earlier, is that whole reinforcement. Right? Is that whole piece of saying, listen, this training was delivered. We know these trainers, most of them are not going to stick around, uh, you know, to, to really help us reinforce this. Let me take that. And as a, if you're a sales leader, listen, I would, and you're not doing this today, leverage them to do this, right? Help me with the schedule to reinforce what we just learned. Put this in practice for me, because that's, that is the way that you're going to get outcomes from, from, you know, properly structured sales training. Yeah, I want to double click on that reinforcement because that's a, it's, it's, it's just such an important piece. But I want to take a step back first and with the enablement people, they're, when they're being asked to train sellers, and, they, and this, is, this is a very common ask, you companies out there that have enablement people, this is, this is often an unfair thing to ask your people to do. You need to be aware of that because you look at what has to happen for an individual to train other people well enough that they change behaviors. You've got to be able to evaluate them. In other words, you have to be able to say, I saw what you're doing and I have some recommendations on how you can change it. And, and you have to come from a point of knowledge on that. And, and that's a tough thing for a systems enablement person 
to be able to do. You then have to be able to say, let me tell you how to do it right. That's an even tougher thing for that sales enablement, that systems enablement person to do. And then you have to be, they have to have the, like, they have to be dynamic enough and credible enough to, to say, okay, that was better, but let's do it again. They have to be able to be a coach as well as, as all the other hats that, that they wear. And that is just, becomes almost impossible for them. Yeah, we, we, it's funny. We talked a few months ago to somebody and said, hey, we, we, we just put, we just put uh, one of our old uh, sales managers into, uh, into an enablement role. So, okay, cool. That's, that's, that's pretty good. They got field experience, got all this stuff. So, okay, um, why is he not a sales manager anymore? Well, uh, he, he, he couldn't tell his people no that they needed to do better and, and give them constructive feedback. I almost lost my mind. So now, so now they're going to teach. Yeah, exactly. So it, most of teaching is about giving feedback. It's yeah. about saying, hey, okay, that was fine. Let's do it again. And let's work on this. And let me help you understand this concept a little bit better. And here's what we're, here's what good looks like over here. So let's, let's keep refining this, keep working on this. And if, and so and you're right. And so it is, you know, that, you know, changing behaviors is, is, is difficult. It does take a certain skill set, and, uh, you know, it's tough. And so then what, look what happens. Just like vendor sales trainers present their decks and their dog and pony show and it's the event and the clapping and the look what happens when enablement people do it it's a longer deck with less engagement with fewer activities and a lot more stuff that they found online or from their enablement network or that they reached out from other sellers and leaders in the company to get but it's one-way traffic yeah and if, if you want to look at one of the themes why external training, vendor training, and internal training fails, it's the split of how much it, it, training is happening versus how much the person is actually active in doing the things that they're learning. Yeah. A lot of vendor training is somewhere in the neighborhood of a 90-10 or an 80-20 split. Mostly the vendor talking, a little bit people doing exercises. And by the way, a lot of times the exercises are like thought exercises. Not really practicing what they're going to do, but conceptualizing it. Or reviewing the pre-work that they had to do as the, as the activity. Or review, yeah, reviewing the pre-work. Or, or practicing a scenario that's unrelated to what they're, they'll actually do in the field. Because the, the vendor training especially didn't customize it to them. So they, they just have this generic scenario, pretend you're a paper salesman at Dunder Mifflin and, and sell this. And that's, again, very less effective. When you look at how great training works and it's, it's closer to a 60-40, 50-50 type split yeah. where there's learning and then there's, I mean, it's, it's the whole process of they'll explain it, they'll demonstrate it, they'll practice it they'll evaluate it and give you feedback on it. And then they'll repeat that cycle and say, let's, let's change a few of these things. Let's shore up this a little bit. As I was looking at the different groups, I saw these things happening. You guys need to change this. You guys over here need to change this and let's do it again. And it's, it's coaching in the sense it's closer to what you would see with someone learning an instrument or learning a sport or learning a skill that people understand takes a long time to develop. Yeah, hundred hundred percent. It's it's it, it, you know what would be even more amazing is imagine if that sales trainer would come back a few months later and actually measure them again on those skills to see if they have stuck, to see if there needs some reinforcement, to see how they're progressing. 
have they have they regressed back to where they were at their we'll call it or their point a or have they reached that next echelon right like you've got to buy in for the journey and if you're evaluating sales trainers get them help have get get an understanding of how they buy into what you are actually trying to accomplish not what they can sell you on on them accomplishing for you that's a that's a big freaking thing right don't get sold by a sales training company <laughs> like get what you need from them after you've diagnosed what it is that you actually need so I'm going to, I'm going to give you a crazy idea. Oh, cause you gave me a what if scenario. So here's, okay. here's one back at you. I'm ready. So what if at the end of training, instead of surveying people on how they felt and whether they thought the lunch was filling enough, what if you, before the training identified the things you wanted them to learn and what good looked like for each of those things. And then instead of asking them how they felt, tested them on their new abilities that they learned on how well they executed those things. Well, let me think about that for a second. So growing up, uh, in order to pass my classes, I took a test. Yeah. Um, let's see, going to an interview in order to pass the interview, I had to pass their tests. Now you're telling me in order to get even better at my job and learn skills so I can make more money, be more proficient, be a better provider for my family, there's some tests I should pass. I told you it's crazy. This is crazy absolutely idea. crazy. And so, but instead of people saying, hey, check box you you did a good job you want me to actually have to prove that i paid attention retained information and grew and can now apply it in the job thus making the company's investment actually have a return yeah fascinating yeah and it, it well it gets worse obviously because then after that test a month later you'd have to take it again or 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 even a more difficult version well now you're just making me work i, I didn't know. i didn't come to my job today i to know work. Right? I know. No, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, what the hell are you expecting out of something if you aren't prepared to measure it? Right? Like, it's unbelievable. And then hold those people accountable to the measurements that you need to see for your business. Because it comes down to purpose, right? If your purpose is to entertain them, then give them a survey at the end. Then hire someone to come in and be entertainment. Hire a magician. Oh, I like magicians. Yeah. Hire, hire those, those traveling uh, gambling places. If, if your goal is entertainment and, and, and I mean, we're bringing this full circle, right? Why does training fail? I think sometimes people don't understand what purpose they, they bring trainers in for. It's an experience that may or may not make people better. Some people will latch onto it. I think they go in, understand that some, some uh, of their sellers will, will naturally kind of absorb some of this stuff and others will just kind of fall by the wayside. And they're okay with that because they understand that their organization has some top performers and some organizations has, and, and then the rest are bottom performers. And if they keep feeding the top and trying to make the bottom just a little bit better, that'll work. But you know what, as a, you're allowed to make all your people equal to perform, right? You're allowed to have all of your people able to hit quota in the, with the same capacity and manner and confidence, right? Uh, well, and that's, that's, a, that's a really important point, by the way. A lot of these, these trainers that come in, so first off, if you look at all the, the big ones, the, the ones that have been around for a while, they have very proven methodologies, there is always goodness in those things. Always. It's, it's just not ready for everyone. And a lot of times, people don't have the capacity to take that and run with it. There's a, there's, a, there's a chasm, right, that has to be jumped. And some of your, your top sellers are going to be able to leap that chasm. They'll grab that material, and they'll run with it. And, and they, then they might be a little bit better for it because they have owned that idea, and they have taken it and made it their own. 
it's probably what drove them to be the top sellers to begin with. But then you have 90% of your, your sellers on the other side of the chasm looking down, realizing that's, that's a too big of a jump. They can't, they can't apply those things. They're not, they don't have the, the core skill set. It wasn't presented in a way that, that taught them how to do it. And so they've all been left behind. Yeah. And so you have to look at what, what needs to happen to get them in the game, to get them across that chasm. Yeah, it's funny because 20% more from your top performers is like this much. But 20% from the other 20 sellers that you have is big. Yeah. Right? Like, like it's incredible. And, and you know, that's why if you, like, you know, most top performers, you don't really need to touch. Right? You just say, just keep doing what you're doing. You tweak them a little bit over time. Go. But the other 85, 90% of your team, the ones who are the ones that you worry about all the time, but don't pay as much attention to because you know they're not going to be there for long. They're the ones who need the most help. And they're the ones you need to start organizing your training around. Right. All right. So, so, and by the way, if you give them the tools, you may find that you can turn them into much better sellers. They may never be top. I mean, maybe they will, but at least you can, you can turn them into better sellers and you can, you can create that culture where everyone is performing it. Like the, the bar is raised for everyone. I mean, I'd rather have a team of all serviceable players, right? They, they, you know, they can all, they can all run, jump and shoot. Right. As opposed to, you know, a, a, you know, very top heavy team of one or two top performers that carry me every, you know, every quarter. That's scary prop is a scary position to be in. All right. So we talked about sales trends, why this thing is broken, you know, from that view, the, the company view. So like, what's, what's the bottom line here? What do we, what do, what, if, how do we sum this up? You have to look at training in that long-term view that we talked about. You have to look at it as an investment. You have to look at it with a plan. And that plan has to include how you get people from point A of where they're at right now to point B of whatever competency level you want them to be at. And then you have to work backwards to build the program the right way. I, I think that rarely happens with vendor training and it, it also doesn't happen that often with internal enablement. They, they, they do it piecemeal. As things come up, they train for that. As this comes up, it trains for this. And, and then you get this, I mean, we've talked about how onboarding programs become this Frankenstein's monster of mismatched parts. Yeah. Training programs in general sometimes get that same feel where they don't quite fit. So you have to have an intelligent program that is focused on the long-term capabilities of your sellers. And then you have to test it along the way as they grow, as each piece falls into place for that, as each training happens. It's, it's, each training isn't even an, an event. Each training is, is a, a moment that begins a, a longer series of follow-up. It may seem like this is adding up to a lot of follow-up, but once they've learned it, it's just a matter of, of the occasional spot checking, the occasional reinforcement. It becomes part of a program. And you got to keep it objective too, right? We all have sellers we liked more than others. Our top performers we tend to like a little bit more, you know, but, but you've got to keep it objective. You got you to make sure that you're, you know, you're testing and measuring people constantly because it's for their benefit as much as it is yours. Yep. And by the way, in most organizations, if you were to go to test them right now, they would hate it. Absolutely hate it because they're being on they're, it's It's unfair they're being given a test to which they do not know the answers. 
because the company, most companies have not outlined this is what good looks like. It's what good looks like in a first call in detail. These are the elements that need to be in place for it. This is what good looks like in a demo in detail. These are all the things that should happen and these are the things to avoid. But once you've trained them the right way and you've given them the answers to the test, so to speak, and you've baked that into the culture, all of a sudden testing has a different feel. If you frame it right, they'll want to do it because they want to get better too. I, I, name me one seller who wants to sell less. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so, so if you approach them and say, listen, we're, we're going to evaluate you, but guess what? This has nothing to do with you having a job here or not. This is about us making sure that we're providing the help you need to become the best version of a of seller that you can be, right? Now I get excited. We've talked about investing in the people. So think about this. You're a sales leader and, and you go to each member of your team and say, we've got this program we're building. I think you're going to love it. Here's what it's going to look like. It's going to include some training and some evaluations. And here's why this is important for you. I ran your numbers for last year. And it was good, right? You're 110% to budget, nicely done. But I noticed there are two places where your conversion rates could use a little help. This is what we're going to do to help you. I, I want you to focus on these things. I want, I want you this year at 130%. I think we can get there just with these things. So this is what we're going to focus on. Yeah. And here's how we're going to do it. And I want you, even though you're strong in these other areas, I want you focusing on them because this is part of a process. I want you better because I think even though you are great here, I don't see why you can't be one or two percent better. Yeah, this is this is also and this is maybe a conversation for another day, but but how 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 broken one on ones have become. Oh like, yeah, like this is this is. Oh yeah, if you're not having these types of conversations in your one on ones, then that is you're they're broken. Let's just be honest with you. If you're not talking about their development, what they need on a granular, data filled level every single week then you're not. You either have too big of a team that you're managing, so you need some help, right? Or I don't know what the other or is, or you're just choosing not to do it. But you got to spend time on development of your people because that's the way you get to your goals, right? You get to revenue goals as a sales leader. You know, as a sales rep, if you're listening to this, the way you get to your goals is by auditing objectively how good you are at every single area of the sales cycle. The funny thing is the other or is they haven't spent enough time developing their people. So they have all kinds of problems because their people aren't developed. That would be the other or. Yeah, exactly right. All right. So, so what else? The constant practice. You've heard us talk about culture, but this has to be built into the culture that I don't just, I don't just use my sales language when I'm in front of a customer. I practice the things I'm going to say with my team. If, if you're in an environment where you're meeting up with people for a team meeting and none of that covers the actual things we say to a, a customer, that none of that helps me get better at those conversations, then you probably should rethink at least a portion of that meeting because they need to hear it. It has to be reinforced. It, it, we have to have people that, that are champions of practicing and making them, themselves better before their next call. Yeah, it's funny because re reinforcement is my my favorite thing. Like when I was running when I was running big teams, that was my favorite thing to do. I would stay as late, you know, after work. Oh, the work never really ended, but I would stay as late after work as as people wanted to, like 
to, to practice. You want to role play for five hours? Let's go. You want to you want to work on your on your your company message. You want to work on your you know demo transitions or your negotiations or pricing. You got these ten calls this week. You want a game plan for? Let's do all of those things. Leadership, sales enablement, the senior executive leadership—they have to own this. This is this is part of that culture and a reinforcement culture is fun because now you get you get to actually you know embody that it, it, it grows it grows the organization and it becomes fun it's it's there's some change management that you have to do to get there because it's not a switch you can just flip and everyone's gonna be happy about it but just like anything else when you that's difficult when you come out the other side you're gonna be a great team i think you're right about the fun part of it too so think about the follow-up in a company with a culture of reinforcement sales leader knows that that seller a has a challenge with demos, isn't doing the demo the right way, isn't converting at that stage. Uh, and maybe it's something as simple as they're just not asking for the commitment. They're not asking for the next step. You bake that into all of your conversations. So the next time, so you, you have your coaching session with that person. It's a great time. You say, all right, seller A, next time we talk, I'm not going to give you a greeting. I'm not going to we're not going to chit chat the first words out of your mouth. I want to be how you get me to move to the next meeting. I want you to practice that transition line. And I want that to be the first thing you say. If it's not good enough for me to want the next meeting, I'm hanging up and I'm going to call you again. And we're going to start all over again until we get this right. You can bake it in and have fun things like that. They're just part of it. And then you do your regular meeting. But think of the message that sends them about the importance of doing those little things the right way. Yeah. By the way, we, we'll do a whole episode on doing the little things the right way. If you could do one thing great as a sales leader is to make every one of your people the best versions of their sales uh, you know, hat that they could be. Because all it will do will benefit you for the, for the kind of that more selfish leader out there. And it's gonna, it's gonna be great for them. Yeah. It's a great, great job security too. Absolutely. Yeah. So then the, the last thing would be companies have to understand that there's there's a there's a price to be paid on this right there's an investment that has to be made and i'm not talking about paying for better enablement people or hiring a different vendor there's an investment of time there's an investment of dedication and commitment that has to be made to this you got to look at your sellers like they are an asset that has to be cultivated and the more you invest in them the more you'll get a return on that investment and in we talked about investing in versus investing around. So I'm not talking about better systems. I'm not talking about a nicer office or higher pay even. I'm talking about making them better at the things that matter most for their job. And if, if you don't have a plan for that, if your onboarding doesn't set them up for success in your company, if your training isn't constantly giving them new ways to sharpen their skills, if you're not constantly evaluating so you can see the progression of their, their skills, then your company needs to invest more. You've got you've to look at how you can build them in a way that you maybe haven't been as much in the past. I love it. Well, Dan, that was a lot of fun. It was fun. Uh, I, 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 I have a good time talking about our industry. Can I just say to all the sales trainers out there that we may have, we're not, we're not trying to poke at you. We're trying to help companies understand that they have to look at sales training better. My hope with all of this is that, that 
this will be this will mean better business for sales trainers for the the, the CEO that we talked about earlier. I hope the next time he's with a, a company, they've they've heard this, and they are they go all in on that training. They invest in a way they haven't before. And I hope that the sales trainers out there take this message and they start saying, all right, well, we have to look at it outside of our box, right? I've got to stop judging myself based on how entertaining I am, how, how well slicked my hair is and how tight my suit is and how, how, you know, how well I perform on stage. And instead, look way beyond that box to six months from now. I'm going to judge myself on, uh, is this, maybe I pick one, is this seller better for it? And is the entire group better for it? That's how you should be measuring yourself, you trainers out there. Yeah. And for the sales enablement folks out there, hopefully hopefully those organizations that maybe listen to this understand the kind of pressure that you have on you, that, you, that, that there are only so many hats that you can wear and wear amazingly well. So, you know, speak up if you have things to say. If, there's, if there are areas that you can't just perform and that you don't believe you're the best person to handle, then speak up, build that relationship with those heads of sales and CEOs and, and those senior executives because you deserve a seat at the table because, because the reflection of your job is how you're going to correlate, you know, those systems and those things that you put into place and how it's going to make people better, right? So, so you, you don't feel alone in that struggle, uh, even though you may feel that all this is on your plate. Absolutely. And then the, the last thing I want to say is when you look at the customer experience that comes from this, it, we, sh- we should always be looking at if, if we're ever talking about sellers, sellers are important, but it's the customer experience that really should dictate everything that we're doing. Everything that, 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 that we've been talking about leads to a better customer. Well, when we get it right, it leads to a better customer experience. This, the training that is not working, the trying to push a button, that leaves your customers high and dry. That leaves them trying to wade through a, an inferior sales process, trying to figure out whether your product is right or not. Train your people the right way, invest in them, and your customers will choose you more often. Brilliant. Maybe you should make that a bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah. Invest in them, your customers will choose you more often. And you'll make a lot more money. And you'll make a lot more money. And your money. customers will love it. All right. If anyone wants to make a cool bumper sticker or T-shirt, there you are. You can have that. Dan, this was really fun. Uh, what a great episode. Super excited. If you need anything from us, Dan at Winspectrum.com, Charles at Winspectrum.com. We'll see you next episode and have a great night. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Charles. Thanks, Dan.